it's not just about grinding. It's not just about completing tasks. It's about going to work and feeling like you are making a difference, that you're bringing your whole self to work and that you're going in and actually contributing to something that's bigger than you. Welcome to Modern Business Operations, where we talk with leaders about how ops is adapting to our modern world. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Modern Business Operations. I'm Seth Colliner, your host, and I'm here with Electra Japanese. Electra, thank you so much for being with us today. Why don't you just introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your background and your current role. Sure. Thanks for having me. I am the CEO and founder of TLB, a legal optimization company, and we work with in-house lawyers to optimize the way their legal function operates through process, design, and technology. And I've been a lawyer for, I've thought about this yesterday, 17 years now, which is crazy. And yeah, I've worked in large organizations all my life, predominantly in a quasi-legal business role. So I've always sat between legal and the business, and I've always worked in a contract legal capacity. So that's me. Excellent. Let's start by talking about the legal ops field broadly, just because so much has changed fairly recently. So how has it emerged and evolved over the past few years? And where are we now? Yeah, good question. When I started the business back in 2017, legal ops was not really a thing that existed. It wasn't really a term that was used so widely. And now five years on, there's legal ops professionals. It's actually a route. Today, I got an email about a career path that's been drawn up for legal ops professionals and how to get to that position. So it's gone mainstream. But I think that the focus today has very much been on cost savings and efficiency, not necessarily effectiveness and design. And I kind of think that's where we're going wrong. I find this a lot in other areas to other verticals where it seems like the role of those operations folks, it seems like it's becoming more and more strategic and less about whatever it was a couple of years ago. So let's talk about what advantages can legal ops give organizations today thinking on that sort of more strategic idea? And what progress has the field made to that end? Yeah, I'll address that question from a slightly different angle, if that's okay. So I think that lawyers should be doing much more in businesses. And that's one of the reasons I left traditional in-house legal environments. I think that legal needs to be more of a business partner. And that might sound like a cliche, it's quite an overused language. But ultimately, businesses need more from their lawyers in terms of how they help them drive the business forward how they help them implement change, how they navigate really complex regulatory environments with this ever-changing landscape that we're in. And lawyers seem to be bogged down with routine work. And there was a survey that was done recently. Lawyers said that they spent 63% of their time on routine work, which is nuts. Like there's so much more that you could be doing. What legal ops can do for you if it's implemented correctly is it can take you out of this routine work and put you at this more strategic level where you can drive business growth. And yes, you'll save money in the meantime, but that's not the point of legal ops. Legal ops is there to help you function in a way so that you can do stuff that really matters. That's very well said. Here's a follow-up question to that. There's this idea that technology drives change. But there's another leading thought that it's quite the opposite, that there's demand and there's change and the technology follows. Assuming that the latter is the case, which I think it is, what changed to push legal ops in this direction, both in terms of the function and then also the technology that's come alongside it? I think to your point earlier, lots of immature functions will start off with an ops person that's there to cut costs, make things a bit more efficient. And then those functions become much more strategic. 
And I think that's what we're looking at. We're looking at a very nascent environment here. Legal ops, legal design, legal tech hasn't been around for years on end. It's all very new. So I think we're just finding our feet. So this is a natural progression of things the way I see it. And yeah, I think that we'll go more towards a role that's really adding value on a larger scale. And the same way a business wouldn't live without a COO or someone who's heading up operations, the same way legal functions will position themselves in the same way in the future. That's great. Let's back into into some of this by asking what isn't working in legal ops right now and why is that the case? Yes, I think that's quite a complicated question to answer. What I see is that the legal ops focus has always been, today at least, has been on efficiency. How do we get things done quicker? How do we get things done more cheaply? How do we reduce headcount need? And this is the wrong way to approach it because you're starting off by looking at the things that don't work and how you're going to fix those, which might feel like a natural thing to do. But actually, what I think legal ops should be focusing on is how do we engage people more so that they are helping legal to alleviate some of its workload? This goes quite deep, but lawyers do a lot of admin. That's the truth. And they do things that they don't necessarily need to be doing because by nature, lawyers will say yes to stuff that they don't actually need to be doing. And that's a very expensive function. They need to say no more. And so if you build out your processes internally, and I'm talking particularly about in-house here, if you build out your processes internally so that other people in the organization want to engage with them, and you're putting that user at the forefront of everything you're doing, and you become very user-centric and design-led and deliberate about the solutions that you're providing, you'll put yourself in a really fortunate situation where people actually want to take on some of the work because it's quicker for them. It's quicker for the sales guy to self-serve with an NDA than it is to go to the legal team and say, can you do an NDA for me? But if you set up a process that's really convoluted, if you have an NDA that's just loads of legalese in it and really long and horrible and boring, the sales guy does not want to engage with that artifact. So what they'll do is they'll either bypass you and they'll ask the other side for an NDA, which increases your workload, Or they won't even tell you what they're doing and they'll just send a version that they had previously, which is wrong. So by trying, by by not doing these things as the legal function, you're actually increasing the risk profile of your business because people will bypass you. And you're increasing your workload because if they don't bypass you, they get you to do everything for them. So I think if you take a user-centric approach, the rest will follow. But as lawyers, we're always not trained to think about the end user. We think of the end user being the judge, right? We're trained to think about the worst case scenario at all times. This thing could go in front of the judge, but that's not your audience. Your audience is the sales teams, the marketing team. It's your finance team. These are your stakeholders and you need to build things that they want to use because if you don't, it's going to be very difficult for you to affect change. This episode is brought to you by Tonkeen. Tonkeen's process experience platform seamlessly wraps around existing policies and systems, allowing internal service teams to do more with what they already have. Build process experiences that are personalized for each requester and use AI to automate the intake, triage, and resolution of every request. Maximize adoption, compliance, and efficiency with no change management and no code. Very well said. I couldn't agree more. So one of the things that I find very fascinating in today's technology landscape, which is full of automation, full of AI, 
is that so much of it is it has that issue, right? It, it has to be human first. The design of it needs to take humans and their behavior and their thinking in mind. With AI, the technology simply doesn't function properly unless you take that approach, right? Unless you have good design, great data, and a good model that has a narrow task and it has a well-defined task. And otherwise, it's just, it simply doesn't work. I don't want to put words in your mouth by any means. So would you say that the it's more of a human-centric approach that is needed? For sure. I think that's where we're going wrong. We're looking at things that are less people-focused and more operational, which you might think is a good idea because it's called legal ops. But I think that the thing that will really elevate legal ops and put not just legal ops, but legal as a function at the strategic table within a business will be to really understand that the reality is that what we do is confusing. Law can be confusing. It's scary for people. They don't want to engage with what we're doing. And the only way we can alleviate our workload, reduce the business risk profile because people are bought into what you're trying to do as an in-house lawyer is to create processes, documents, workflows, introduce technology in a way that's very human-centric. And that is literally the only way that you can make change. And I'm always thinking of the bigger picture. What's the objective of legal ops? Is it to just save money? Or is it this bigger objective, which is to get lawyers at the table, which is to get them in a position where they're free from being bogged down with routine work so they can do things that really matter. And I think maybe that's where the difference is. It's more of a mindset. What's legal ops here for? Perhaps, I think actually that's just occurred to me during this conversation, perhaps that's where the disparity is. It's in terms of the objectives. What are we looking at and what are we trying to solve for? You know, it's interesting as you say that, the idea of what is our role. And again, I hear this in other verticals where the role increasingly becomes less about just getting your job done and more about, but seriously, what am I contributing to this organization? And so much of it is about the human creativity and human expertise. And it's funny, I think back to when I first entered the workforce to date myself. I'm an elder millennial. I'm on the bleeding edge of the millennialness. When we entered the workforce, right, the attitude was so much of these awful millennials who I think what they were finding was that we wanted to do that. Like we wanted to show up and bring all of our creativity to our jobs instead of just being told what to do. And we did it and checked the box and said, have a nice day. So I hear things like, hey, it's not just about saving money anymore. It's not just about ticking that box. To me, that seems like both like a generational thing where the millennials and I assume the Gen Z folks who are also now in the workforce want to offer that because we find value in that. And it turns out the companies that we work for also gain value from that. And the technology has come along with that, right? People don't want to do rote tasks. It's not fulfilling in any way. And we look at some kind of machine and it's, hey, you know what we could not have to do was create an NDA every single time somebody asks for it. And furthermore, they could just ask for it from a machine and we can provide it automatically. I'm rabbit showing a bit there on, on some of that, but I don't know if that resonates with you as well. Totally. And I was speaking to someone the other day and they said that 75% of the workforce will be millennials in five years. And this purpose-led approach that we have to work as millennials and that Gen Z have even more need to be taken into consideration because it's not just about grinding. It's not just about completing tasks. It's about going to work and feeling like you are making a difference, that you're bringing your whole self to work and that you're going in and actually contributing to something that's bigger than you. And if we take that away from people, they do get demotivated. And in today's climate, I feel like we can't really afford to do that. So that's even more of a reason. Law firms are struggling to recruit now. 
It's hard for them to keep people. And one of the reasons is probably that they go in and they don't necessarily feel like they have a purpose-led job. So legal ops isn't only going to save you money, isn't only going to alleviate your workload. It's also going to allow you to keep your staff motivated and reduce your attrition. So it's win-win. So let's talk a bit about the technology, if we can. We can get as in the weeds as you want. But in terms of the approach of, let's say, the, the types of applications and services that are available, we can maybe start there. If, if you can just paint a picture for us a little bit of what technologies are available right now and maybe even how are they being implemented and how do they stack on top of each other? Yeah, I think stacking is a good, actually a good word to use because up until now, I think in-house functions in particular have seen technology as a solution that you buy that's a one-stop shop and it's going to do everything for you. But the more we speak to bigger in-house teams, we see that there's a full understanding of the fact that they're going to have to build a tech stack. So you're not just going to have one CLM and expect it to do everything. And I think the expectation on tech providers to do everything has created a market that is quite stamey. You look at this 400 CLM tools out there, they do more or less the same thing, right? And I don't necessarily think that comes from the vendors. I don't think they will set out to do exactly the same thing. I think that's been pushed by the customers who have wanted to just have one solution that does it all. That's, that doesn't work. So tech's not like that. You have point solutions, you have things that do things really well, and you've got to put it all together and build whatever it is that you need. What we're seeing is loads of CLM out there. Lots of these CLM tools are um, leveraging generative AI and large language models to build their tools to be even better. And we're seeing this massive hype around generative AI. Lately, I'm getting people asking me to have a call to talk to them about what others are doing because they feel like they're missing out. So there's this big kind of push towards doing something new. There's, of course, e-billing, which has been out there for a while now. And there's some really sophisticated solutions out there that are absolutely transforming the way that in-house teams spend. And the data insights that they're getting from it is leveling the playing field for the providers. Those are the main tools that we're seeing out there that are a mainstream at the moment. I want to talk about generative AI in particular, just for a moment, because anytime there's a hype cycle, right, that there are the naysayers, the doomsayers, and then there's also the people who are maybe over-enthusiastic about the potential. And I've seen some folks on the legal side who have been in favor of banning it internally within their own organizations and saying, no, 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 we're not dealing with this. It's too dangerous. What's your perspective on banning it entirely versus thinking it's the best thing we've ever made versus something somewhere in the middle where perhaps it's something we can harness? Yeah, I think we're definitely somewhere in the middle as with everything. And I take quite a balanced approach. I love the idea that there's so much hype about tech generally because five years ago, that wasn't the case. People were very scared of it. And lawyers are generally laggards, so it takes a while. And now the fact that everyone's talking about this cool new thing, I think is just massive progress from where we were previously. I don't think that generative AI will remove the need for lawyers ever. I think lawyers will always be needed. I saw that someone did a, a famous person, I don't remember exactly who it was, but they did a speech recently saying, don't study law because generative AI is here and you can just ask it a question. That's stupid because that's just going to lead to more litigation, which is going to need more lawyers. So it doesn't make any difference. But I think the profession of the lawyer will change to an extent. So we will be freed up from the administrative routine work. 
and we'll do more with our brains. We'll have more cerebral problems to solve rather than copy and pasting, which we often do. And I, I think that's what the change will be. The same way Excel freed up accountants from doing menial tasks, I think generative AI will do the same for lawyers. But I don't think that the profession will fundamentally change. It's just the grunt work that will be removed, which we all want, right? No one studied law to review NDAs all day long. Exactly. What is the best advice you've received in your career? The best advice I've received is that what separates successful people from very successful people is that very successful people know what their limitations are and they surround themselves with people who fill those gaps. And that's always stuck with me because it's so true. And having started a business, I had that with me from the beginning. And I thought, how do I build a team around me that has all the things that I don't? So it's really held me in good stead. That's a great one. And is there anything you want to promote or share about yourself or your company? And if people want to contact you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, the best way to do that is you can contact me on LinkedIn or email me at electra at tlb.law. TLB is a legal optimization consultancy, as I said earlier, and we effectively do three things. The first is we offer a service called Contract Review as a Service, and we support legal teams with their contracts because that's not a strategic thing that you should be doing. And so you should be outsourcing it to free yourself up from routine work. We also offer legal ops support. So if anyone doesn't know where to start or they want a roadmap or they want to really understand how to leverage existing technology that they have or other capabilities internally, we can do that. And we also do something called legal design where we apply design thinking methodology to revamp your workflows, make them very user-centric, but also revamp your documents and make those really easy to negotiate and easy in the eye. So if any of that sounds interesting, please reach out and I'd be very happy to have a chat. Excellent. And I want to give you the final word here. We covered a lot of ground and we did it in an indirect way. Are there any final thoughts you want to leave us with based on everything we talked about, if you want to put a bow on it? Yeah. So to put a bow on it, if you want to leverage legal ops to build a very strategic role for yourself as an in-house lawyer, then take a human-centric approach to that function and you will see immense results. And we've seen that work in practice and it can definitely work for you too. Marvelous. Electra, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your expertise and wisdom and knowledge. We very much appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Modern Business Operations. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at tonkeen.com slash mbopod. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. And if you're interested in staying up to date on all things business operations, join the Tonkin community at tonkin.com community.